Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBrew podcast all about the foreign exchange market, where we break down some of the main news headlines in financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of FX. My name is Matthew Ryan, Head of Market Strategy here at eBrew, and I'm joined as always on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer Enrique Diaz-Alvarez and Senior Market Analyst Roman Zuruk. Welcome again, everyone, to another episode of FX Talk. And we have plenty to get through today because while it's been a relatively quiet period in terms of the major central bank announcements, which tend to deliver the most volatility in markets, we have seen lots of other activity which has kept investors very much on their toes. Arguably, arguably the main talking point in FX so far this month has been broad strength that we've seen in the US dollar. The dollar is trading higher against every other G10 currency so far this month, and most emerging market ones as well, with only a handful of exceptions, most notably the Latin American ones, which continue to exhibit broad strength. Uh, Indeed, the US dollar index is now up around about 3% in the last three weeks alone. And we're going to start by talking about what we think has been the main reason behind this rally. Clearly, there's been quite a few candidates for that mantle, First of all, we've had receding bets in favour of Federal Reserve interest rate cuts. A couple of reasons as to why that's the case. First of all, data out of the US economy has continued to remain quite strong, notably on consumer spending. The labour market is also holding up well. Job creation is high. Initial jobless claims are trending downwards again. On the other hand, FMC member speeches have been quite hawkish on the whole. Most have pushed back against interest rate cuts, while also opening up the possibility of another interest rate hike, which is now largely priced in over the next couple of meetings. This includes Chair of the FMC, Jerome Powell, who hinted at his latest communications that a pause could be on the way in June, but also he signalled no rush to start cutting interest rates. At the same time, we've seen renewed safe haven flows into the US dollar, amid concerns surrounding the US debt ceiling, while risk appetite has also worsened following some soft data out of China. It may This dollar rally may also be a simple matter of investor positioning. Euro net longs, for instance, are incredibly stretched. We may even be seeing an element of profit taking. But what do you guys think? What would you say has been the main reason behind this recent move higher in the dollar? I mean, I think clearly it's it's we had a... a misadjustment between market expectations of interest rates and future hikes and, and reality. I think that um, looking back a month ago or so, we expected there was an expectation of, of three, almost four rate cuts later in the year. This almost certain certainty that the current uh, set of rates just above 5% would be enough to bring down core inflation and, and perhaps even cause a recession. We had seen some tentative signs of weakness in the in the job market. These are all uh, mostly undone by the uh, last couple of weeks of jobless claims data. Uh, and today we had the the the, the PC inflation report. We had the latest uh, confirmation that uh, inflation, while it's not going up, is certainly not coming down anytime soon. It seems to be stabilizing um, around that five percent level. So it is. I think I think the market is coming to the conclusion that uh, that having uh, overnight rates at the same level of inflation may not be enough to bring inflation down to target, and the Fed does 
mean what it says in that its goal is to bring inflation down from the current levels of around 5% in core inflation to the target of 2%. Uh, so that to me, that, that uh, correction of the market uh, misperception that the Fed was ready to, to stop and, and cut rates is the main reason for the rally in the US dollar. To me, we really have a, a lot of factors that are supporting the move higher in the US dollar. But I think that the rally was uh, called for after a long period of uh, dollar weakness that we have experienced for uh, the past few months. Mm, and uh, But uh, looking at the main reason, I would uh, agree with Enrique that it's a correction of market expectations. And markets have been very optimistic, uh, expecting the Fed to start cutting rates uh, quite early. And right now we have we have seen the uh, complete reversal of those bets and actually pricing in uh, a continuation of a rate hiking cycle. The base scenario right now, uh, although the pricing is very volatile uh, at this moment, the base scenario is a 25 basis point increase at the nearest meeting. So uh, this uh, couldn't go uh, unnoticed. Uh, and uh, in this context, the US dollar strength, uh, I think, is uh, completely understandable and reasonable. Um, however, at the same time, uh, although we all agreed that the market pricing was uh, too excessive, the market pricing for cuts was too excessive earlier, I'm starting to think that perhaps uh, the pendulum swung too much right now and maybe uh, expecting interest rate increase at this point when, yes, we have a, a few data points that are suggesting that the U.S. economy is stronger than expected and the inflationary pressure is perhaps not uh, coming down uh, as fast as the Fed would want. Uh, I'm starting to think that maybe the short-term expectations of markets uh, have increased uh, too much. Uh, and uh, what do you think, guys? Do you think that rate increase is reasonable at this point? I think a lot will depend on the, what we see out of the U.S. and the next inflation print. I, I hate to say that, but uh, everything pretty much depends on that one data point, perhaps also on the next labor report that we get before the, uh, the June meeting. Um, I, I At this point, after we've seen inflation, core, a PC inflation rebound, that we've seen the, the signs of jobless claims increasing, petering out, um, I would... I would be on the side of, of, of and, and also, let's not forget, we've had a number of Fed officials uh, coming out in favor of uh, continued hikes. I think I would come down on the, on the side of, of we get another cut, another hike before the end of this hiking cycle. Yes, I, mean, I agree that uh, inflation data will be, will be absolutely key. Um, I, I'm maybe a little bit less confident, I and mean, I, I, I still sort of think, I mean, I kind of side, side with you a little bit more, Roman, um, in that maybe the market is getting slightly carried away in terms of additional hikes, because I think if we look at Powell's most recent communications, um, he seemed pretty happy uh, to, to pause the hiking cycle at the next meeting. So, um, you know, I, I, I would still expect a pause in June. Um, I think for now, I, I would also expect no more hikes, even though one is pretty much fully priced in for June, uh, sorry, the July meeting. Um, but, you know, that could change uh, in the next couple of weeks quite quickly if we do continue to see signs of maybe upside surprises in the next inflation report or the next non-farm payrolls report, for instance. I think they're going to be very important. Um, but, but clearly, we have seen a confluence of factors that have uh, led to this, this rally in the dollar. Um, I do agree with you guys. I think that this um, receding 
Fed rate cut bets has to be uh, top of the list because the repricing that we've we've seen there, as as you guys have mentioned, has been pretty dramatic. Um, And we we did talk on this very podcast, actually, including on the last episode, um, that we thought the market was overestimating the possibility of rate cuts. Market seems to be coming around to this view now, of course. Um, And I think, you know, Powell's communication is very much um, pushed through that uh, he, he didn't necessarily see any rate cuts on the horizon just yet. Clearly, it's a, a big difference from what the market was pricing in, and uh, hence the US dollar rally. And now we touched on uh, market concerns surrounding the US debt ceiling, which has also driven safe haven flows into the greenback. Uh, at the time of this recording, at least, uh, no agreement has yet been reached in Washington. That may well change by the time that you're listening to this episode. Um, but I did want to touch on what these negotiations have all been about and why this has been so important for markets. Um, so when we say the, the, the US debt ceiling, what do we mean? Well, this is the, the, the legal limit as to the amount of debt that the US government can accrue. Once the government approaches that debt ceiling, as indeed it did hit in January, it can enact a number of what are known as extraordinary measures in order to delay a default. Or it can either suspend the debt ceiling or increase it, which is what the current negotiations are currently focused on. And now, this is not at all uncommon. We've seen more than 100 modifications to the debt ceiling since the Second World War. So an agreement in the next few days would hardly be historic, though the divided political landscape in the US has made negotiations that bit more challenging. Headlines here have largely been encouraging, and there is a a general consensus in the market that an agreement will be reached before the early June deadline that would avoid, I should say, uh, a US default. But what could happen in the event of a US default? Would this be a US problem? Would this be a global one? What do you guys see as the main risks of a U.S. default? And is one on the way or will an agreement be reached? I definitely don't think one's in the way. But even if, I mean, the definition of the worst case scenario default to me would be some delays in the payment of some coupons and redemptions in treasury bonds and bills. I still think even that is a low scenario if it did happen. Um, I think that we would see an immediate sell-off in the stock market, which is exactly what would need be needed to focus the minds of uh, both Republicans and Democrats in in uh, closing a deal. Um, so far, we haven't seen that. I have seen zero impact of this in risk assets, uh, the stock market, credit. Um, even the uh, the spike in short-term yields is is pretty minor. Um, I I agree with the market. I think that the risk is low, that we're going to have either an agreement or at the very worst, maybe some delays in some payments. There's uh, plenty of games that the Federal Reserve and Treasury can play to, even in the absence of a deal by the deadline to keep things going. And I think that the verdict of the stock market, that this is uh, not an issue, it's not going to be an issue, is correct in my view. 
I certainly agree with that. I think the stakes are far too high for the both parties not to get to an agreement because nobody would want to be blamed uh, for people losing jobs, uh, not getting paid, for the stock market crashing. Uh, so I think it uh, is extremely difficult to to argue that, that this is uh, indeed is something uh, of a realistic scenario because. Uh, if it were to happen, uh, I think that it would be a bloodbath in, in a lot of parts of financial markets. Uh, we'd probably see a significant risk of. Uh, at the same time, uh, although the dollar has not been selling off uh, in the context of, of uh, this preparation for a deal and some worries related that it might not uh, come around, I think it would probably be uh, hit uh, quite severely and other safe havens would likely benefit. Um, at the same time, it would cause all sorts of problems, not only uh, with regards to the US financial system, but also global financial system. It would probably accelerate the, the dollarization push uh, also further speculating, it would also probably fuel some uh, anti-US sentiment. Uh, perhaps this would be weaponized by some actors that are not exactly, uh, th that want to um, diminish the importance uh, of the US. Uh, and I've, I've already seen some parts of propaganda that suggest that uh, this is an important thing. So this definitely would, would take place. So uh, this only adds to, to this what we were saying, that the stakes are uh, too high uh, for this to, to take place. And uh, I think that this, uh, to a certain extent, is a matter of national security and uh, not to uh, allow it to happen. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I and mean, I think, um, as you guys have been saying, all in all, it would be a bit of a disaster, not just for the US economy, but but for the global economy, given how important um, the US uh, clearly is to the, to, the, to the world financial markets, world global economy. Um, yeah, as, we, as you guys have been saying, I think we'd see we'd see sort of mass mass job layoffs. Interest rates would go up as as investors flee treasuries. Stock markets would crash. We see, I think, sharp cr contractions in GDP across the board. Clearly. As you guys have been saying, that's something that politicians in the US will want to avoid at all costs. Um, so, so I'm equally confident that we'll see an agreement. And you know, at this stage, as you mentioned, Enrique, markets do not appear appear overly concerned at all just yet. Um, and indeed, you know, as mentioned, by the time this episode is out, we may well already have an agreement. Um, but if not, certainly something worth keeping an eye on in the next few days or so. Great, we're going to move on now and talk about um, the relative performance of the euro area economy uh, and the UK economy. Uh, now, of late, we appear to be seeing a bit of a narrowing in the performance between the two. On the one hand, the eurozone economy appears to be faltering somewhat. Recent data out of the block has been a little bit disappointing. We've seen data on, on retail sales, industrial production, the PMIs. Um, and economic and consumer sentiment, which have all fallen short of expectations in Europe so far this month. G Germany's economy also officially entered into a recession in the first quarter of the year, and the IMF expects U the Eurozone's largest economy to be the slowest growing in the G7 this year. On the other hand, the outlook for the UK economy seems to have improved. Data continues to largely surprise the upside, Services PMI, for instance, is well above the level of 50. 
The labour market is still very strong, despite some modest signs of cooling. Inflation is also expected to drop uh, later this year once the, the UK's energy price cap is lowered. The, the average household bill in the UK uh, energy bill will be lowered by around about £500, almost just shy of £500 from July. And the IMF this week has also issued a pretty sharp upward revision to its UK growth forecast and now no longer expects a recession this year. Um, but I'm going to put it to you guys. How do you see the, the relative performance of the, the Eurozone economy versus the UK's? And how do you expect that to impact the euro relative to the pound? Um, to the first question, I, I find it difficult to believe that the Eurozone uh, economy will diverge massively from the UK economy because a lot of uh, the positive aspects that you mentioned about the UK uh, but the UK economy in the ne- in the minute of the year also by the eurozone we have the uh, the composite PMI well above 53 though you have uh, this this dichotomy between a very strong service sector and a weak manufacturing sector where the Chinese reopening has yet to materialize you also have uh, an economy that is basically full employment um, you also have an expected uh, household, dividend so to speak from uh, lower energy bills all of these are also present in the in the eurozone uh, the recession the technical recession that we saw in germany for the last two quarters is is like i said a very technical just below zero uh, contract uh, contraction um, and is driven by by the expiration of many government spending programs uh, from the COVID era in Germany. That's a one-off. That's a drag that will not be there going forward in the next few quarters. So in terms of the relative gap, of the relative performance of the two economies, I don't expect there to be much of a gap. I expect uh, the Eurozone economy to uh, economic uh, 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 forecast to also be revised upwards soon. Um, in terms of the impact on the currency, I still think that sterling is historically cheap versus the euro, so there's a potential there for uh, the rally to continue, but mostly driven by valuation rather than than relative out, uh, outperformance of the UK economy. When it comes to eurozone, uh, I was quite positive on the economy and the current set of data doesn't really change my view on that. Uh, looking at the PMIs, uh, yes, we had a slight decrease in the composite index, but it was uh, nothing uh, overtly dramatic. Uh, and I, I think that uh, we are still looking at a level of growth that is uh, at least the level of the current consensus or, or above it uh, in the eurozone. And I think that the euro should be supported in that context. When it comes to the UK data, this is where we have seen the biggest turnaround in the past few months. Uh, when it comes to recent weeks, uh, we've also seen some encouraging prints. Uh, however, uh, I think that the data is, is whispering and not screaming. Uh, so those are uh, perhaps a uh, rather subtle changes, at least the most recent ones. And I think that also uh, some of the data uh, can provide a risk when it comes to a, a longer term prospects of the UK economy. For instance, looking at the inflation print recently, we have seen that the price pressures uh, appear to be a bit more embedded uh, and uh, more difficult uh, to overcome. And this will likely push the Bank of England to uh, raise interest rates more aggressively, which can be 
positive for the uh, British pound, at least in the near term, but this could uh, add to the challenges for the British economy in the medium and the, and the longer term especially. Uh, so I think that the revisions uh, to the near term projections that we have been seeing uh, for the past uh, few few months or weeks uh, will likely uh, continue gradually. Uh, but I don't think that to the extent that uh, the UK will be expected and, and will actually overcome the Eurozone's economy uh, when it comes to growth this year. Uh, but I would be uh, somewhat worried uh, about the UK uh, prospects in the longer term uh, in the case, uh, because of the uh, more a, a better uh, case, stronger case for policy tightening right now in this context of data. Uh, also, and the UK has had for years this productivity puzzle, load productivity, which which also provides a, a bit of a challenge. Uh, and uh, also uh, a lot of internal issues, issues with protests that we have seen that have been quite problematic, in, particularly in, in some uh, bigger cities. And uh, there's also conf- uh, consequences of Brexit. So I think that there are quite a few internal uh, challenges uh, that the UK will have to face. Uh, and that uh, cool my optimism with regards to the economy and uh, and the British pound. Yes, yeah, so I'm I'm sort of slightly on the other side a little bit. I mean, I've I've been um, a little bit concerned with some of the recent data that we've had out of the eurozone this month, which is I don't think is necessarily painted a particularly encouraging picture. And I, I do think we are seeing a, a bit of a narrowing in the performance between the UK and the euro area. Um, recent data of Germany in particular, um, I think is a bit of a worry. Um, whereas if we look at the UK, I think the data is holding up reasonably well. I think the drop in uh, energy prices, the possible return of real earnings growth back into the positive territory in the second half of the year um, could be important, albeit you know, that a similar um, argument applies for Europe. Um, but, but overall, I think that this slight narrowing could could lead to some support for sterling against the euro in the short term. But at the same time, I wouldn't get too carried away. I I don't necessarily see anything more than than mild growth in both both economic areas this year. Um, Clearly, downside risk to growth remain. Notably, of course, the persistence of high core inflation in both areas, which I think will be the chief concern for both the UK and Eurozone economies uh, in the second half of this year. And that's it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the FX market, visit Ebreed's website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And let us know if there are any topics you'd like to hear more on during upcoming episodes. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a fortnight's time. Thank you all very much for listening.